Hello and welcome to Tales from the Bay with myself, Will Gavin, uh, and uh, the main man, Nicholas. Uh, uh, Nicholas, I guess the first thing to do with the show uh, this week before we get into kind of anything 49ers related. We are kind of the British home of the 49ers on radio and podcast form and, and everywhere else with Gridiron. And there is a lot to get into ahead of the Week 18 game with the Cardinals looking back at the Raiders last week. You know, Patrick Willis getting into the Hall of Fame finalist class and and some various injury news as well. Uh, we should take a moment to mention what happened on Monday with um, with Damar Hamlin. Obviously, you know, go over to the Gridiron show also from Gridiron for a bit more of an in-depth look and conversation on that. Um, there were conversations that Shanahan uh, has spoken to the media this week. He said they didn't actually uh, speak about it in the, in the all-round team meeting, but went round and spoke in each of the position groups on a more kind of intimate basis. They talked about a team clinician being in the 49ers facility on Tuesday to to be there to offer um, kind of mental support and actually said that the wives and girlfriends of the players were using that as much as the players were, which I thought was absolutely fascinating and, and great to see the team were doing something to react to it, to, to kind of give it the 49ers bent. But just from uh, from your perspective, uh, just a bit of reaction to to how the 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 NFL world has pulled together in this in this past week. Yeah, it's um, it's been very heartening um, to see. Um, we get very sucked up in the tribalism of sport sometimes, and the NFL in general can be. Obviously, me adopt a team, whether you're a British fan or American fan, can be very tribalistic. You see videos all the time of fans getting a bit too into the game and forgetting that these are human beings at the end of the day. Um, Go back to the uh, the late great Chris Wrestling's um, quote that he, he was pondering: Why do we watch sport? Why do we watch the NFL? And it's basically look what humans can do. Look at these incredible feats you can pull off when they play a structured game. It's a bit daft when you think about it. It's a kid's game, but it shows you the the kind of what humans can do when they put put their minds and their bodies to it. But a situation like Monday night reminds you that these are human beings at the end of the day. And you saw that with not only what happened to Demar. Uh, and the reactions of the, the players on both sides as well, these human beings, and it was a good dose of perspective. Is there any, any kind of positive to come, to come around that? Is it kind of brought people back to reality a little bit? And it's since we've seen how the NFL world has rallied around with all the, the teams changing their Twitter handles or putting different shows of support on the stadium, and of course the, the unbelievable generosity of people to, the, to that young man's uh, brilliant charity as well has been a very, very pleasing to see. And thankfully, he seems to be on the on the mend, or get at least at least improving. We don't know yet; it's been kind of limited updates as expect. But it seems like he's getting better, which is which is crucial. Um, and yeah, it's it's very, it's very hard to see the the, the the structure that the Fort Niners have put in place as well. I don't think there's too many um, members of the the team that knew. I think Ambry Thomas is the main one uh, who seems to have some kind of prior connection with him. We were speaking this week about um, what a positive influence he is as a person. So it's good that that, that support system is there. So. Very hard to see the, the league-wide response and obviously very pleased to see that the initial reports of some kind of recovery are positive. Uh, and it's going to mean that football this weekend, uh, when we, as I said on the Gridiron show, you know, we hope that we go into the games on Saturday and certainly on Sunday with even more positive news from, from the University Hospital there in Cincinnati and, and that, you know, if we hear of a young man that is is awake or is in a position where we know that he's going to have a reasonably good quality of life beyond this, then, you know, we can really celebrate what we love about football this weekend. But it, 
it's going to be hugely emotional either way, I guess, when we see the first snap between the, the Raiders and the Chiefs on Saturday night, mm-hmm. up to watching your own team go out there for the first time. Because, you know, as much as you're absolutely right, the human element is so... The, the kind of empathy and the outpouring and all of that side of things has been has been wonderful to see. But you always have a more personal connection with the team that you follow and that you cover week in, week out. And seeing those people who you feel you have a personal connection with, who you had conversations with, built relationships with, that adds just an extra layer of emotion on top of it. So yeah, it's it's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be fascinating in terms of what we see from from Sunday and and yeah, we just we hope it's a weekend where everyone comes through healthy and and from a 49ers perspective with at least the two seed and, and go into what should hopefully be a good playoff run. Yeah. Health is is always the main thing. As I say, we get lost in the win, lose and draw, but it's a, it's a very dangerous game. And the main thing is that these um, people, that these men that are playing the game that they love always uh, come through healthy and come through relatively injury-free is always the, the main goal at the end of the day. <laughs> Let's uh, let, let's talk about the other big bit of uh, non-on-the-field news from this week. Patrick Willis named amongst the 15 Hall of Fame finalists, a guy who, you know, may, was a member of the 2010 All-Decade team, a guy who went to five All-Pros first team, well, five, was nominated to the All-Pro five times in, in eight seasons, and really seven seasons if we look at the last one as, as being as injury hit as it was. Uh-huh. You know, five first team All-Pros, a second team All-Pro, seven Pro Bowls in that time, two-time tackle leader, member of the All-Decade team, a, a defensive rookie of the year. Oh. He obviously did get to go and, and play in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl and, and under that Jim Harbaugh era, you know, probably the most direct comparisons in this in this group is, is Zach Thomas, who similarly was a first five-time first team All-Pro, made the 2000s decade team, you know, similar kind of player. But for me, the, the knock on Patrick Willis is that it was that shorter career, that it was only eight years that he did have to cut it short. But I, I just, you know, there there is... I, for me, he is a hands-down Hall of Famer. I don't know if it happens this year with such a strong class, but uh, if he doesn't get a bust in Canton eventually, I think that would be disrespectful to just what a force he was at the position for such a stretch of years. It's a really interesting kind of debate. I don't think there is much of a debate, but if it wasn't for the longevity issue, even if he played another four years and had never reached an all-pro team or, or never made another pro bowl, he would still have a Hall of Fame resume because five, five all-pros, an all-decade team and a Super Bowl appearance, win or lose, genuinely gets you in. <laughs> the all-decade team has always been kind of the... If you get on one of them, you're probably going to get in the Hall of Fame. Um, yeah, I can't, it, he's kind of suffers a little bit because around 2014, you had Luke Keekley emerge and then kind of took over the mantle a little bit and... His main kind of spell in the spotlight was that 2011-2013 team with Bowman. Obviously, he was brilliant before that. He was the best linebacker in the game, even before they got good under Jim Harbour. But he kind of had the three years with Bowman where they were the best linebacker during football. And then Luke Keekley kind of came on and kind of took over a little bit. So he kind of gets maybe lost in the wash a little bit after that three-year span. But he shouldn't because... And that was obviously more of... That's the time where obviously social media was coming out and everything. So it was becoming... He kind of had the back end of his career when we had the age of social media come through and be a lot more attention, or like clips getting shared, all that stuff. But before that, he was one of the best linebackers in the game as well, straight straight from his rookie year in 2007. It's hard to think of a, a player who was as consistently dominant at, at one position for such a, a strong period of time, at least on the 49ers anyway, somebody who had 
that consistent run of dominance. Um, he kind of defined the linebacker position from, from the moment he came in the league and was such a incredible athletic force, such an <laughs> such a dominant physical force. He could play in coverage. He was absolutely just destroyed people. <laughs> How he hit people as great as a pass rusher. I remember the clip of the NFC Championship game. They lost to the Giants in 2011, where he's just coming, I think it's an overtime, where he's just coming for like a maniac on a blitz of, of um, Eli Manning and just willing him to the turf on what was becoming a very damp and muddy turf at that point in that incredible game. And he's, there's so many defining images of him. It's tough to think of the Hall of Fame from at least from a 49ers perspective without, without Patrick Willis. Um, I think it is a matter of time. Um, I think it's just maybe they have the longevity debate a couple more years in any event, they eventually sanity prevails and we say, like, hey, let's get this guy in. Uh, I think, it, it, yeah, it's it's a super strong class this yeah. year. Uh, that 15 is, you know, we were talking about this again on the Gridiron show, but you could throw 15 names to a hat, take five names out and justify the class. Like, yeah. it, it's, it is that anybody from there is a worthy hall of famer and, I'm not. I saw some people kind of lobbying for them to increase the numbers to make it bigger, a big class. I'm not a fan of that. I like that it is exclusive. I like that it is difficult to get in. It should be the very best of the best. Yeah. Patrick Willis for a for a you know, stretch of at least six, seven years was the best of the best. So yeah, I, best of luck to him. Fingers crossed for him. We hope that he does make it uh, in, and we'll find out Super Bowl week. Um, just to mention as well, a couple of notes from practice uh, as well from this week. Um, Elijah Mitchell, they have uh, officially opened his practice window. He's off IR. He could feature this weekend against the Arizona Cardinals. Debo Samuel, full go in practice this week. I mean, when you talk about how multiple the 49ers are with that offense, when those two aren't in the lineup, you just think about how good it could be when they are in there. I don't know about you. I know we'll get more in depth on the Cardinals shortly, but with their weaknesses, I would expect some rotation from San Francisco this weekend. I'd be stunned if, you know, McCaffrey touches the ball 30, 35 times again. I'd be stunned if if Debo plays more than 50% of the offensive snaps and similarly Elijah Mitchell. But I would like to see them rotated in and and get some snaps and get some contact under their belts to to make sure that they are good to go come playoff time. Yeah, I agree with that. Um I think the depth they have, I think they'll be very heartened by what they've seen from Jordan Mason and to a lesser extent they've cut they've got some good snaps out of Tyrion David Davis Price. I don't know if he'll be active on Sunday or not with those players coming back, but they've got the depth there that they don't need to necessarily run these guys into the ground, particularly in a game that they really should win. So you could see a lot of rotation of McCaffrey and Debo and Eliza Mitchell in the first half, and if the game is going as many expect, and maybe you get a lot of Jordan Mason in the second half, and they utilize kind of an extra depth with the rookies that they've got there as well. Um, so yeah, I think enough to get Elijah Mitchell and Debo Samuel's legs back up and them getting used to getting hit again, sort of 10, 15, 20 snaps that'd be the upper limit, I think, just to get used to being hit again and being back into the flow of the game so they're ready for a much more intense experience. But nothing, be- nothing beyond that, I would think. I would, like I say, I would expect a, <clears throat> a pretty yeah, significant rotation. Let, let's go back to the Raiders game. I know we're quite a few days removed from it now uh, at this point, but just the, the 50,000 foot view, 35,000 foot view, whatever it is that a plane flies at, um, getting the win was was massive. Get, seeing Brock Purdy put together a properly excellent two-minute oh. drill. And I think it was, I think it was under-talked about. 
But I absolutely believe that when the Raiders got down to the one-yard line and then scored on first and goal, that was a classic Belichick, let them score and give us a chance to go and score rather than let them run the clock down. There was not a lot of resistance on that goal line no. stand from a defense that has made the, the, their stock and trade this season in the in the red zone. Um, but to see Brock Purdy put that drive together was was really heartening to me. And I think yeah, bouncing back from adversity is always positive. Uh, just you know, giving up thirty four points to a, a guy who has barely played in his four years in the NFL and people were kind of almost laughing at the idea that he'd come in. Stidham played really well, really, yep. really well. You've just got to hope that the reaction from the defense is, is similar to what we saw when the, when the Chiefs tore them apart a little bit and it's like, right, address the issues, reset and go back to being one of the best defenses in the NFL. Yeah, it was one of those games where if you watched on Red Zone or whatever as a neutral, you'd think this is great, this is absolutely fantastic. To watch it with a vested interest in a team in it, you are absolutely tearing your hair out and just <laughs> thinking, please let this end in a positive fashion. Um, it's funny you say the about them letting them score. I can have other thought the other end when Jordan Mason scored. I was delighted for the to, for the young guy to get his first touchdown. But I was like, if he'd just gone down there and got tackled, he could have run the clock out and kicked a field goal, and that would have been it. Um, but yeah, it's, you can never in the heat of the moment. You can never um, begrudge anybody for trying to score a touchdown. Of course. Um, yeah, I tend to think it. I lean on the anomaly um, bit of the defense again. Um, I think they, they were a little bit complacent. I think Nick Bosa said as much initially, at least initially in the first half. Um, but I think in the second half, it, they, they were improved, even if the Raiders still managed to score points. You saw the Niners begin to take over the line of scrimmage a little bit. And there were still some very good performances on defence. I thought Eric Armstead and T.Y. McGill in the middle of the defensive line were great. I thought pre-injury, Dre Greenlaw had a really good game. Made some key open field tackles that prevented the Raiders from getting more points on the board. Um, I think he had a key stop before the goal line stand that prevented Stidham from getting in. Um, and yeah, you've, you've seen a lot of criticism of maybe the secondary, but I think that's a little bit overblown. Um, watching the kind of all 22 back, um, there's a lot of players that are just Devontae Adams doing ridiculous things. Like, I'm not sure Arius Ward allows a touchdown, but it's an absurd catch at the end of, end of the first half. And otherwise, apart from that, Chivarius Ward, apart from one PI call, had a pretty good game and allowed like four yards of a target. So it's pretty standard, good fare against one of the best receivers in the game. Um, same with Demo Lenore. Um, needs to do a better job sometimes of making plays at the catch point, no doubt. But most of the time, he had pretty good coverage. Fanga bounced back from an early kind of mess up in coverage as it getting to be a little too constant, but he had, he had a, maybe he allowed Darren Ward to streak into the end zone, but he had a, a, another situation on a similar play late, later in the game and stayed home and stayed in good coverage. So you saw them kind of learning from it. Defense, so it was a bad Fred Warner game kind of, but a bad Fred Warner game is better than most linebackers' average games. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and you, and you still saw Nick Bosa make the key play um, at the end, and you had uh, Kerry Hyder as well making some excellent plays with the the um, the pass deflection that resulted in Drake Jackson making kind of a volleyball play for an interception as well. So there was still a lot of key defensive contributions there, even in kind of a, a bad performance. So I tend to think that this is kind of an anomaly. Um, caught off guard by Jarrett Stidham, who, as you say, played very well and made some ridiculous throws. Um, and the game from both. From both quarterbacks, kind of reminds you that we're very quick to write off quarterbacks. That like Jared Stedham had never started a game in the at the NFL level before, um, gets written off as kind of nobody, but despite having played at a decent level in, in college football, and if you're going to rise to that level in football, you you have to be talented in some way, shape, or form. So we're very quick to write off these guys, but that just shows that 
under the right circumstances that players can come out and perform. And Purdy's an excellent example of that. And I thought you, I think you're right in that he he did a very good job of coming through adversity. He had a very sticky patch where he had the the interception, which kind of showed the limits of his um, his arm strength. And then he had a few misses, um, kind of iffy ball location on a potential touchdown to Juwan Jennings and a miscommunication with Kittle on the same drive. But he bounced back from that and led a superb drive that should have resulted in the game-winning field goal. Um, the, what would have, been, would have been known as the Brandon Ayuk drive if it, if, if it had ended in the right way. But Robbie Gold decided we needed more football. Um, but that allowed the defence to, to come in and close it. So I think there's still a lot of positives um, to take. And obviously the win is the main positive that sets them up to still get the, the second home game and maybe even a third home game, depending on what the uh, Eagles, decide, Eagles and Giants decide to do on Sunday. We we um we already declared uh, Nick Bosa Defensive Player of the Year last yeah. week uh, and probably many weeks before that. But this was one of those great examples of a game where he's not going to show up on your box score. He's not going to flash on your stat sheet. He's not going to you know come away extending his lead in the sack race. But seven QB pressures and the play made on Colton Miller. He talked about after the game that they decided for overtime to switch up. Their, the way that they, the, the positioning, who their match-ups were against, try and, you know, catch Stidham unawares a little bit, the kind of stuff that, you know, D'Amico Ryans has done well this year is make those adjustments and, and you know, be able to fool an offence. The way he just took a six-foot-nine, 325-pound man and forklift him back into his own quarterback just showed that this isn't just a guy with a great with great hands and great bend around the corner and, and all that athletic stuff we see him, but he's just strong as an ox as well. Like those boxers are built different and he was phenomenal again. That was a, a heck of a play. And I'm glad you mentioned Brandon Ayuk. I saw a very funny tweet uh, from somebody saying Brandon Ayuk was 44 yards away from his first career, 1000 yard season. Robbie Gould must have known <laughs> that. And considering Ayuk went to, went to high school in Nevada, he just wanted him to get his milestone in his hometown. And so, you know, just a great teammate missing the, uh, missing the field goal at the end of uh, the, the interception as much as it was on the Bosa pressure. I, I haven't felt relief like that for a long time, even though I'd kept telling myself in my head that, this was, you know, a that that this was, you know, the actual result of this didn't necessarily matter. It didn't affect the seeding that much, you know. There was uh, we still are going to be in those top three seeds, still going to get a home game. I just like I talked myself into it, and yet the relief I felt when they picked that off and went and scored w- was immense. But you know, in a week where McCaffrey showed up again in a big way, 193 total scrimmage yards, brilliant in the passing game as an option for Purdy as an outlet and in the running game as well. But yeah, really good Brandon Ayuk game. And I talked earlier about how multiple this offense is. I, I, I No defense in the NFL should want to face this, this 49ers team right now, especially considering that the Cowboys defense have started to take a downturn and the Philadelphia defense has had some pretty key injuries over recent weeks. I'd be terrified if I'm facing the 49ers right now, genuinely. Yeah, they, just as they say, you mentioned the multiplicity. That's that's the key. Um, is that particularly in the first half, they were setting up just a lot of easy stuff for Purdy out of like 12 and 21. So one running back, two tight ends, or two running backs, one tight end. They had these heavy sets all the time, and they were they were running the ball really well with McCaffrey because he, he's an amazing running back, and they were, they were blocking very well, and both Ushak and Kittle were helping 
massively in that regard. Or they were getting him out in the route and setting up pass plays and setting up easy short plays to get Birdie, Birdie to move him down the field. And it's just so hard to guard against when you've got this heavy personnel set. So normally running plays, but you genuinely don't know what's coming because Christian McCaffrey is an amazing receiving threat. And Kyle Juszczyk is also very useful in that role as well can, and can do everything. And <clears throat> I neglected to mention him on initial wrap of the game there. Yeah, I, I thought Kyle Juszczyk was was phenomenal in every respect, every respect on Sunday. Kind of one of the more... You know, obviously, team of a lot of stars. He plays a very useful role, and I think in just in the way he opened up things for the run game and how he set up the pass play as well. I thought he had a very, very, very good game on Sunday, and probably lost in the shuffle of everything else. And of course, you have Christian McCaffrey, who <laughs> you've, you've struggled to find superlatives at this stage for how well that trade worked out. But the Niners are run blocking extremely well, even after Aaron Banks went injured. Got injured with the um, the knee sprain, I believe. Even after then, they they brought Daniel Brunskill and then didn't miss a beat run blocking wise. But he's still doing an excellent job of kind of making bad blocks, good blocks. And at the end of the day, still he makes the most of those bad plays. And you saw on the screen pass that he did that set that set up the uh, Jordan Mason touchdown, where he had the patience to wait behind Dan Brunskill's block, wait, wait for it to develop, and then just unleash just ridiculous speed and then uh, an incredible had I'm not sure that Raiders defender was uh, who he bounced off and carried on going. I felt very sorry for me in the moment um to kind of be on a highlight reel forever but that, that just shows the kind of incredible force he can be at the, the position it's and uh, that trade just looks like a home run every every single week there was uh, he would have gone over 200 yards on the day as well if there'd been there was a 20 yard pickup on a screen that was negated by one of those nonsense illegal man downfield penalties it's a screen of course you're going to have linemen downfield that's the point um that's how the play sets up um it was quite a penalty heavy game from yeah. that perspective and it was just before the inception obviously the whole game flow changes with that play but yeah he just he is absolutely unreal i'm glad you highlighted Kyle check as well uh, very, very special player. And I, I have to say as well, Kerry High, like the other thing that really stood out to me, the defensive line, as much as the defense obviously gave up a lot of points, they made plays down the stretch and that was with a number of players missing that that left them lighter on the depth and the rotation than they'd normally have. Kerry Hyde are tipping that ball in the air and Drake Jackson sneer, uh, snagging his first career interception. I've had a couple of conversations with Jackson now and... I, I really, really like this young man, both from a footballing perspective. His athleticism is unreal. He's been, you know, absolutely, he's clearly a, a powerful pass rusher, but he's shown some coverage snap ability and he's shown some, you know, ability against the run as well. And he just comes across as a really, like, cool young man with a lot of, I've got a lot of time for him. So that put a real smile on my face. And there was that great story about his dad who, yeah, he was a huge Raiders fan growing up and was it at the game in Raiders gear, but with the Drake Jackson jersey like on and and he'd been cheering the Raiders on the whole game. But when Jackson sneered the interception, he jumped up and down and apparently the people around him were like, what? I thought you like what? How I thought you were supporting the Raiders? Like he'd been making noise on third down. He'd been doing all that kind of classic loud fan stuff. He's like, yeah, but that's my boy. That's my son. And it's like just brilliant. So yeah, a lot of time, a lot of time for Drake Jackson, and pleased to see him getting a big play. Yeah, and for um, for Kerry Hyde as well. Um, on the other part of that, I have a lot of time for him similarly, just because his first season here before he left to spend a spend a year in Seattle for some reason was one where he played extremely, very, very well in the season when Nick Bosa was injured in twenty twenty in that terrible COVID year, and had one of arguably his career year, but saw it coming with with no fans in attendance most of the time. So I felt a bit felt a bit for him that his main season was. 
in that dreadful year where <laughs> there wasn't many fans in the stands to witness it. So him having these big moments in these games that are full full houses with fans going nuts, I think that's, that's really good to see. And if you watch the tape back of um, that interception, his reaction um, to Jackson plucking that ball out of the air, where Hyder himself is leaping up and down with fists pumping everywhere. It's a very nice reaction to see. So two two players that are easy to root for there, making a big play in a key game. Let's um, let's look start to look forward to, to week eighteen. Obviously, it's going to be a stilted week, an odd week, and uh, we'll talk 49ers Cardinals coming up. Uh, producer Mike has has put in the question here into the running order. What do uh, we as Niners fans want to see happen in week 18. Well, of course, what we want to see happen in week 18 is the Eagles lose to the Giants and nabbing the one seed. But with New York locked into the sixth seed and with as much as the coaching has been brilliant and they've had some individual play step up and they're getting healthier, they're still not the deepest squad in the NFL. I, I suspect that they will rest players. Jalen Hurts will return for Philadelphia and that should be a relatively routine win for them to seal the one seed. Yeah, it's it's a... It's the one way I could see it going if it's, is if Hurts is comes back isn't quite right and has a kind of a stink of a first half and then you, the Giants have got something to protect and then they'll probably still probably still kind of look to rest starters but then maybe they might play a little bit harder than if the game was going awry and if the, the Eagles are in clear control you obviously see both teams pull starts pretty quickly and it's always the kind of the weird nature of the final week of the season that you're always going to get these situations that pop up. And unfortunately, the, the Niners are in, involved in one where they, they have a team that has nothing to play for that's playing an opponent that, that, that still needs it. So it's, um, yeah, I would expect it to maybe look like a game for the first half. But if the Eagles are ahead of seven, ten points at halftime, then you'll see, you'll see both teams kind of wave the white flag and say, let's, let's turn it into a preseason game, I would think, um, there after that, or at least one side do that. Um you can imagine they go full preseason game, then the Giants suddenly like come back into it because preseason games are weird, and then yeah. suddenly yeah. fourth quarter you see Jalen Hurts trotting back out there again just to go and, and put the game oh, to bed. I, I would absolutely love that. That that'd be both amusing and it would be it would help the Niners no end. Um, but yeah, I think what I want to see is somehow the, the scenario where the, the, the Lions get in the playoffs. <laughs> seven seed. I mean, the Niners lock up the second seed to obviously get the extra home game. But then I don't really want to worry about the Packers coming on, on some ridiculous role with Aaron Rodgers, telling everybody, oh, I, was, I was right and I've got these young weapons and we're going to go on this run. I really just don't want to deal with that. And I, 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 I want to be clear on this. And, and I bit my tongue slightly on this on the Gridiron Show because Simon Clancy is the biggest Packers fan that there is out there. The fortune they've had to receive yeah. to get for a chance to get in the playoffs, as much as winning four games in a row and would have to be five, is always impressive. Yeah. I I don't think the linebackers are good enough, particularly the the uh, rookie who uh, has flashed, but I don't think has been has been great. I I still don't think those weapons represent anything like the level that they've had previously. Good good run game and and the offensive line's getting healthy and Aaron Rodgers is making occasional Aaron Rodgers plays and so they're not a team who should be they're not a team who should be written off. I I, I think they're probably the toughest test of the three that uh-huh. it could be if we end in the second seed between Seattle, Green Bay and, and Detroit. Although Detroit have that kind of slight wild card element to them where you just yeah you know. They they feel like more spoilers, even if they're not the, the technically the best team of them. But I respect the Packers. Yeah. I don't I don't fear the Packers. I'm not I'm not going I'm not going, oh, I desperately don't want to face them in the playoffs. I'm thinking more from 
from my sanity perspective, because Packers <laughs> and Seahawks, the narratives in the week are just going to be unbearable. Like, I just, it's just, I just don't want any either part of having to build up to playing the Packers, even though I expect the Niners will win, and then history says the Niners will win that game based on recent playoff history, or the Seahawks, as much as the Niners have dominated in two matchups. I just don't want those narratives, <laughs> those narratives in the week where I have to build up to a Niners Seahawks playoff game. Just seems as like too much energy that I don't want to expend. So. A nice game against the Lions, in which maybe the Lions show a bit of kind of berserker potential, but the Niners come through, it would be absolutely fine by me. So if there's a scenario where the where the Rams can beat the Seahawks, which I could see, I could see that the Baker Mayfield, see Sean McVay being very up for doing that for kind of spoiling the Seahawks playoff chances. So if Baker Mayfield could do us a favour there, and the Lions can knock off the Packers, I, I would be absolutely fine with that. Uh, and the Niners get a second seed and. Away we go. Obviously, the ideal situation is that they don't have to worry about playing next week. But as we've as we've outlined, that's uh, probably easier said than than done. So, uh, the other thing he's put on here, and uh, I I almost don't want to respond to this from producer Mike, but I'm going to just mention it because he's put it in here, and this is class. He's baiting me. He's looking for a social media clip out of me here. That's that's what he's doing, or out of us. He said, well, who do you start at quarterback if Jimmy G is back towards the end? And I'm only addressing this because I want to be incredibly emphatic about this. If Brock Purdy gets us to the divisional round, gets us to the championship game, heck, gets us to the Super Bowl, and I was, um, uh, not to clang a, a name drop, but I was... Um, texting with uh, Greg Rosenthal on Monday night after he was on Channel 5, just essentially saying, look, we're really well handled, mate. Like, that was a really tough situation for you guys to be in, and you showed real compassion and brought up those historical events. And, you know, his real, I thought his empathy shone through beautifully in that occasion. And he, uh, he, he finished off the text conversation just saying, see you at the Purdy Bowl. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, if, if Brock Purdy gets anywhere near sniffing the Super Bowl, of course you don't bring Jimmy Garoppolo back in. But regardless of whether you want to go down the kind of, you know, the obvious uh, Brady, Bledsoe comparison and go back in the history of it all, the sample size right now is getting big enough for me to say that Brock Purdy is a better player than Jimmy Garoppolo. It's his movement more than anything else for me. It's the yeah. way that he sees the pocket around him. It's the way that his feet stay quiet. If he has to develop through the play and he works his way through his reads, he does that. And he does have a decent, he does have a decent release. And he he doesn't, yeah, maybe not have the arm strength. And, and there are some things that you, 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 you do still question, but just, I see calm, good feet. I see the right movement at the right time. And I just, you know, I watch players like Garoppolo or like Carson Wentz or guys like that, like who just, it's panic after panic after panic. It's seeing ghosts, it's feet all over the shop. Brock Purdy looks like he's been playing in this league for 10 years already. Yeah, you mentioned the movement. I point to the second touchdown to George Kittle. And to be clear, Jimmy Garoppolo has made plays out of structure before, has made plays where he's found receivers on the move. But I, I watch it back and I struggle to see Jimmy Garoppolo making that play, at least making that play look that fluid, where he where he easily escapes a rush, uh, escapes a rusher as everything kind of breaks down, rolls to his left, and just unfurls a perfectly accurate ball to the back of the end zone, which Kittle plucks out the air and, and spikes and celebrates, and, and on we go. I, I, I struggle to see Garoppolo doing that with the apparent ease that that Purdy pulled that Purdy pulled off there. 
Um, and given Garoppolo's injury, I'm not sure I want him on kind of limited playing experience coming into an NFC Championship game, potentially in minus de- minus degrees in Philadelphia. Uh, just not, not sure that's something I'm, I'm, I'm interested in because I think I know how that would go. Um, and there's also there's a degree of Brock Purdy obviously came through the little rough patch and delivered a great um, a, a great would-be game-winning drive where he was very, very, very accurate to Brandon Ayuk. But he still, he still made some mistakes, but there's still an, that element of that fearlessness of that rookie. He, he hasn't had a reason to be scared yet. He's come through the, the, the game where he might have had a reason to be fearful. He's come through it. So he has that fearlessness. And I think in the you know, the pressure cooker of the postseason, having that fearlessness can can be an asset as much as it could be a downfall in making making a mistake, making an overly ambitious throw, being, a, being not getting gun-shy, as Carl Shanahan said after the game, because... I think Shanahan was more impressed than people expected him to be. Not getting gun shy in that situation is a, a critical aspect that could that could be an asset to the Niners. And we've we've seen in previous playoff games where there's there has Garoppolo will have that gun shyness sometimes. He'll 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 check it down, but he'll still bring the the kind of the cataclysmic mistake as well. We saw that in the um, the games, even though they won both those games against. Both the Cowboys, where he nearly, where they were in, in command, and then he tossed an interception like Dallas right back in it, and then obviously in the Green Bay game, Green Bay game as well, in the kind of early early in the first half, there he had an interception in the red zone that cost some points. So you still get in the errors, but you didn't really get the upside last last season, the postseason, even though he was he was playing hurt. Um, but that should be a guide. Garoppolo playing hurt in the playoffs last year wasn't the greatest, even though the Niners, the Niners got very deep into the postseason. So I think you stick with the guy who was healthy and. Doesn't know what he doesn't know yet. He still he doesn't have that fear factor, and he's making extreme, extremely impressive plays that are contributing to wins week after week. There we go. We answered your clickbait, producer Mike. <laughs> Hope you're happy. <sighs> Five minutes of our life we're never getting back. Um, right. Um, before we get to, we've got, we've got a few uh, a few player interviews to get to at the end of the show. Uh, we're going to be hearing from Nick Bosa, amongst others, from the locker room. But uh, I think this will be the quickest preview we do all, all season, to be quite honest, Nick, because uh, the Car- Arizona Cardinals are in the conversation for the worst team in football. They were competitive with one of the fellow worst teams in football last week in the Falcons, but it was not a good game. And, you know, we know that it's going to be Blau. We know that there's going to be no DeAndre Hopkins. This should be relatively routine for a 49ers team who just want to, you know, pick up the victory, get the seeding they get, get into the postseason. Yeah, any intrigue of this game is probably kind of gone with Hopkins not playing because the Hopkins versus Ward um, matchup round two, it's very evident they don't like each other. Um, might have been kind of vaguely interesting um, to see to see that again, but now that's kind of been robbed robbed from us by Hopkins not playing. I understand Hopkins not playing. There's no reason for the Cardinals to risk him at this stage in the season with any kind of injury. Uh, he's too valuable to them long term. Yeah, I, I don't expect this to be much of a game. And the Cardinals do still have a few weapons, uh, Marquise Brown and a couple of other receivers, and I think the tight end Trey McBride's come on a little bit towards the towards the end of the season. But again, like you say, David Blau, I know he's a he's a he's a kind of cult figure favorite of um, Mr. Rosenthal's colleague Greg Mark Sessler, who like who at one point uh, when he was with Detroit to, to calling them the Blauhards, which was one of the more amusing names. I think he's a a very capable backup, and he's capable of finding um, some of these weapons that they do have. But I don't think he'll have the time to find them because um, I think we saw back in 
in, Mex in Mexico City that the Niners quickly started dominating the line of scrimmage there and, you, and they have too much depth on the defensive line for that Cardinals offensive line for it to be much of a problem. Um, and I think the Niners will likely um, control this game with the run. Also, you'll see CMC, you'll see you'll see Elijah Mitchell, you'll see, you'll, you'll see splices of if Debo Samuel, you'll probably see some Jordan Mason. Um, I think they'll look to, con look to control the game as, it, as they normally do with a, a good balanced attack. Um, try and neutralize JJ Watt, who we should mention it's his, his last game in the NFL. So I'm sure he'll look to make some kind of impact. So the Niles probably take steps to make sure that doesn't happen um, as much as JJ will want to go on a, out on a high note, quite rightly. And yeah, just, just control the game and, and, and make the key defensive plays that they can make against a, a severely undermanned offence, then I think there's no reason why that shouldn't happen. Uh, I, two things to mention, as much as it's not been the, the, as strong a division as it's shown in recent years, I mean, we might end up being the only team in the division with a winning record if the Rams can do the Lions and, and pack as a favour and get a win in the nine o'clock window ahead of Sunday night football this weekend. But yeah, to go 6-0 and in the division, in a division that, tends to take games off each other would be would be a joy I'm I'm all for that and I, I guess the thing to mention beyond what Arizona offer is what we'd like to see from San Francisco talked about this earlier already a little bit uh, I you know want to see Debo Samuel out there want to see I want to see Elijah Mitchell out, Mitchell out there. Not too much of them, but let's see enough of them just to see them, you know, getting a good few snaps under their belt, a few carries under their belt, a few catches under their belt just to, you know, get back into, into game speed. But then outside of that, you know, let's see more Ray Ray McLeod being used in the Debo Samuel role. He's done it really well in recent weeks. Let's see, uh -huh. let's see Danny Gray getting some opportunities to be the burner that we know he can be, He's, you know, Slow development this year, but when you have the weapons that you have in front of you, that's maybe expected. Let, let's see on the defensive side. Let's see Sam Womack take some snaps on the outside and in and in the nickel as well. You know, let's see some Ambry Thomas out there. Let's let's see some Jordan Willis out there. Let's see some you know Ty McGill out there. Let's 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 see some impact from guys who we know offer really good depth and really good rotation. The 49ers aren't a team that don't give those people opportunities, but let's see what they can do given a good number of snaps in a game and, and given an opportunity going into the playoffs to kind of prove themselves before we get into the real crunch of football. Yeah, so that's a good point, mate, with, uh, particularly with um, McLeod. I think Shanahan, to his credit, has done a very good job of getting McLeod involved in Samuel's um, absence. Particularly last week, there was it was the kind of the key play after Purdy was clearly unsettled um, after that series where he, he missed Jennings and he had the mis miscommunication with Kittle. The next series, they, they got the ball and Shannon had a superb play call of kind of just calling this slot screen to Ray McLeod, Ray McLeod, um, and got him out in the open field. Got Trey Williams, Trey Williams, Trent Williams out in front of him, which is always an excellent position to be in as a ball carrier to have Trent Williams out in front of you in open space in open space. And Ray McLeod took it 30, 40 yards downfield and the Niners were in business on Raiders' side of the territory and suddenly Brock Purdy was calm again and the Niners were back to rolling on offense and it was the perfect play call and a perfect example of how you could use um, the speed that he does have. And on the Danny Gray point, he also had a jet sweep in that, in that game where he kind of stumbles as he gets to the outside. If he doesn't stumble, he's gone. Like, he's just, no, there's no debate. If he, if he doesn't slightly, he, you can see by the way he got up, he was frustrated. He knew if he got down the sideline, he was gone. There was, no, there was nobody catching him. So, you're right. To, to get kind of chemistry um, with, if Purdy can get a chance to build more chemistry with him and having his chemistry with John Jennings is fine, but any more of an opportunity to build it is crucial because you never know 
in a playoff campaign when these third, fourth, fifth weapons are going to be needed. And often in these games, it's kind of the unexpected name that kind of makes a big play and they become they become a story in, in the postseason that they step up when it's when it's needed most. And from a selfish perspective, as the one of his biggest fans since since college, since he came out into the 2020 draft, let's get Brandon Ayuk 44, 50 yards, and then let's get him off field. Let's get him a thousand yards because he's deserved it. He's had the best season of his career. He's, he's a top ten wide receiver in the NFL by most advanced metrics. He just doesn't get the love that a lot of them do. But he's one of he's developed exponentially in his third season, and he, he deserves that milestone to, to get his plaudits and then get some rest. Absolutely, and and just to say, you know why he doesn't get those plaudits, and I know there is there is a god tier of receivers right now who, you know, I think Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase, uh, Tyreek Hill, uh, Justin Jefferson, you know, there there is there are four or five in the league that are just you know, Hall of Fame worthy in the first few years of their careers already should be talked about in those conversations. Some of those guys, some of them already having had Hall of Fame careers because Shanahan offenses don't give you fantasy points because they spread uh-huh. the ball around. And so people don't, you know, give Ayuk the love he deserves because they sits on their fantasy bench and has, you know, one good week in three and they get annoyed that they didn't play him. Like it's so stupid that that is something that affects people's opinion so much, but it really does catch the eye versus a guy that you can be playing week in, week out and starting and getting you consistent points. And people are like, Oh, I love you know, T Higgins, T Higgins is brilliant, by the way. I'm not, I don't want to, you know, give, give me T Higgins on the Niners all day long. I'm not going to complain. But my point just being that, you know, they'll notice that guy is a number two because he gives them fantasy numbers. Anyway, that's a separate rant. I'm not going into it now. We're being full of love and positivity for the NFL community this week. That's the, uh, that's the way that we're going. And, and with that in mind, I'm sure it was addressed uh, with the 49ers players this week, as much as it was with Kyle Shanahan, as we referenced earlier. Let's go inside the locker room with Larry and the team and hear from some of the players involved ahead of this weekend. All right, we're here in the Niner locker room with T.Y. McGill. And uh, T.Y., tell us, man, that the, the, the fourth down play, you guys got a nice stop. It seemed like you got a nice little penetration there. Tell us about your perspective on that play. Uh, are you talking about a goal line stand? goal line stand, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, man, I just... Pretty much did my job, but uh, Eric, Eric pretty much made that play happen, bro. I mean, if you see it from the offensive side going in, you can see how he destroyed the guard, ate up the fullback, and then made the tackle on the running back, which was an amazing play. But, um, but yeah, you know, I kind of like, you know, got through that a little bit and just pulled him back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Eric threw away the guard, man. He threw away the guard. And and then it looked like he made the play on his knees. Right. I mean, That's what I'm saying. And, and he took he took the shot like right to the stomach. Right. I mean, it was it was just, quite the shot. Just a big boy ball. And then the, the the running back's legs were still churning. You read that, kind of jumped in yeah. and grabbed his legs and pulled him back. All right. Um, <clears throat> great moment in the ball game for sure. He's giving you crap. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about about uh, you know right now this this D line because you're you're playing in a rotation up front and you're playing with leverage, you're staying low, um, and you're playing well. I mean, talk a little bit about the group right now because you guys as collectively are playing well. I mean, I just I just think we just got to just keep keep stacking weeks, man. Um, 
Like, uh, we, I, don't, I don't think we played our best by any means last week. Uh, but like I said, just come back. We got the dub. Come back this week. Stack, stack another week. Get better. Work on our fundamentals. Uh, continue to stay on our tracks. And I think we'll be straight up front, for sure. How are you feeling physically this, this time of the year? Uh, I mean, I actually feel pretty good. I'm a little sore, obviously, but um, nothing crazy. I like, that. I like to think that like when the soreness is evenly, like kind of spread out throughout the body, that's a good thing. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about Arizona this week. You watched them probably a little bit already on film. You've already played them. Right. Uh, you're a veteran. What do you see? I mean, you've got two big, strong guards that we're going up against this week. Um, I mean, both of those guys play with a lot of power. Uh, they play with leverage. Even though they're bigger guys, they still play with grit leverage. Uh, I just think it's going to it's gonna be a challenge for sure just to be able to be consistent in our scheme against those guys. Connor may go, he may not go. Tell us a little bit about James Connor. I'm sure you've gone up against him before. Oh yeah, yeah. I play I mean this is his last game, but uh yeah Connor's a great back. I mean he runs hard, runs with leverage, runs with power, always trying to get the extra yardage. Uh yeah, he's a good back. Yeah. I was looking at your uh, your football card and you have been on a bunch of teams, <laughs> and you've been on multiple extensive like, list, huh? Yeah, it's an extensive list, and also you've been on multiple teams twice, haven't right, you? Right. Um, and which actually I think is a great sign. That means right. that they like you, they like traits about you, and maybe it was a numbers game, and now right. you're back. Right. Now you're. I mean, how do you know offhand if I said to you how many NFL teams you play for? Do you know? Yeah, I've probably been. Uh, I've been on like eight or nine teams. Mm-hmm. Some some stints longer than others. Some stints maybe a week or two, but. I still kind of have to, have to count that towards the, the journey and the process that I've been on for yeah. a minute. So, yeah. You have a good insight then also into kind of how this team and this locker room and this whole thing, this organization stacks up. How would you describe your experience here compared to the places you've been around the league? Well, it's, it's kind of a lot to compare to right now. And I, I don't really want yeah, no, to get into comparison. But, uh, what do you like about it? I just know that I just know that everything, you know, works out for a reason. I feel like uh, the way that we work here is, is no mistake why we We've won as many games as we won consistently in a row. Um, Kyle does a great job of taking care of us, and we go out and practice hard each day. What do you think of Stidham this week? Uh, I, look, I, look, man, like guys may say, media may say, hey, man, this guy is a backup quarterback. I'm a tryout guy. I, I, every guy that I get on the field with, I have mad respect for. And, you know, hopefully, maybe, maybe if, if it's the same with me or not, it doesn't matter. But I just know what I've been through, and I know how hard it is to play in this league, not only as a D lineman, but as a quarterback. So I have mad respect for that guy, for sure. He made a lot of plays. Absolutely. Uh, Jacobs, you know, some guys in here were saying that Jacobs was the best back you guys faced this year. What, what do you think? What makes Jacob such a good back in your mind? I mean, just just how hard he runs and with the vision that he runs with. I mean, he's a great back. Like it was actually a play that I thought he was coming outside, and I shed it outside, and he was nowhere to be found. He was back inside. You know what I mean? So he's very elusive. He runs with power, and he has some good speed on him as well. If you were advising some of the young guys, because you got some young guys in your room, and you're one of the leaders now, if you were advising them on on a playoff run and how to go about 
about it as far as your preparation in the regular season compared to maybe stepping it up a little bit for the playoffs? What, what do you advise and what, what, what do you, what's worked for you, I guess? Well, I've only been in the, in the playoff picture probably once when I was in L.A., but uh, I, I don't think anything really changes. I think you just hone in on the details and focus off the field on making sure that your body's ready to go each day and every week. Because the most important thing, if you're not available, then you're not, you're no good. So yeah. it's like just making sure that you take care of your body the same way uh, as if it was week one. Like you can't fold on those details just because it's later in the season. You actually got to hop on those even more just to be, just to be ready. How do you go out in, in, in a regular season and have a little fun and be a person, but at the same time, you know, is there certain, when do you need to kind of, in the in the work week, do you need to start getting your rest and making sure? Because you got to be able to go out and do something sometime, right? Well, I mean, for me personally, I can't really speak for everybody, but I'm a 9.30, 10 o'clock type of bedtime guy just because I know how, you know, rest is, is the most important part of the recovery process. Yeah. But, um, I mean, like my family came in town. There's times, you know, we went out and had dinner. We had a rookie dinner uh, with, with the guys. Um, I mean, there's definitely times that you can kind of go hang out, but it's not like we're just going out partying, you know, you just right. go out and get a little dinner or something like that, and that's that's pretty much it. I mean, once you're in the season, you're in the season. That's what the off-season for, you know, to <laughs> I you know, you have a little time, unwind a little bit, but, I mean, we're in the mix of this thing right now. So. Yeah. Last one. Um, give me your, give me an idea of, like, your day. Like, what, what time do you pull into the facility today, and, and what's your day been like so far? Uh, well, today, I mean, usually, what, uh, Wednesday, Thursdays, Fridays, too, are, like, 8 a.m. start days, so I'll probably wake up, like, 6.45, Get a little quick shower, come in, get the breakfast going, get the body rolling. Do you mostly eat here or you eat at home? Uh, I, I, I eat here. Yeah. yeah, I eat here, so. And then when do you lift? Do you lift in the morning? Uh, so I lift, this week I actually lift Monday and Tuesday, so I didn't really have a big lift today, but I lift again on Friday. Do you go heavy or do you go light in season? Uh, it, it just depends on kind of how I'm feeling going into the, like I, I do a lot of different type of exercises, like I like to do like a lot of one-legged, one-arm, different type of things just to can, you know, because a lot of the times in our, like, in the game, you might be one-arm, one-leg a lot, you know, right? especially playing on double teams, so. I just try to stare towards a lot of things that uh, have an effect on the way that I play. You get here, so you get here eight. There's a meeting. Then what do you what do you guys do? You get watch film then? What do you? Oh yeah, we're we film. We got we got the film process. We're going as a group or or individually uh, or. Yeah, we got we got we got uh, position meetings. Uh, we live. Then we go defense. We go uh, team meeting. Then we go. Uh, Offense, defense meeting. So we touch all our meetings, and uh, but we D line like we're definitely locked in a lot in our meeting room. So we going over the film, putting in the game plans, just things of that nature. How critical are you of yourself when you watch that film? Do you, or, do you, and or how critical is Chris of you guys? Is it? Like, I mean, yeah, very critical. I mean, yeah. yeah, you have to be, you have to be critical. You have to be the biggest critic, especially in this, in this. Uh, in this like, organization, not organization, but in this type of game, like you got to be critical because like every little thing like matters. You know what I'm saying? Like going back, like in, in the given Sunday, like at the end when he's like the inches are all around us, and like that's what makes the game. Those inches, like they are really all around us. Like it's crazy. So, yeah. Like just, like just going back, just honing in on the details, man, and just uh, locking in. Hey, good luck the rest of the year. Thank you. We're here in the Niner locker room with Colton McKivitz, and we're getting down to week 18. And, uh, you know, how's, how's things? Obviously, the team's rolling nine in a row. What's the uh, what's the vibe like in here? 
just another week. <laughs> I mean, you, you keep wanting to replicate what we're doing, and you know, it's just challenging ourselves to, to be the best we can every week, and uh, just building on and correcting what we did wrong last week, and then obviously keep it rolling. Yeah, what did you think of the Raider game overall? I mean, it was it was a good win on the road, good comeback. You guys were down ten. Give me your perspective on the game. It was a heck of a you know confidence boost for for the offense, and, and knowing that we we can put up some points and and uh, you know come away with a win at the end of that and. Um, you know, just knows that you know we got each other's back. Where it's you know special teams, offense, and defense. So uh, I think it was a, a really good win when when we needed it. Yeah, I mean, when you go from scoring 20 a game to like the stretch now, where you guys are really scoring 30 almost mm-hmm. every week, um, that's got to. I mean, I'm sure I talked to some of the corners. They're like, hey, it makes us feel better. Um, the whole team just feels different when you're scoring 30 a yeah. week, 30 a game. Yeah, knows. Uh, you know, we got a little not a buffer, but you know. It, Helps the defense know that you know they got a little room if if things aren't going well, and also you know we got the confidence that they're gonna you know be the number one defense they have been all year. So um, you know we got each other's back, and that's just how it goes. You're a veteran now. Uh, what's it, how difficult is it to beat a team in your division that second time around? Because you're now taking the Cardinals on for the second mm-hmm. time this year. Uh, you know it's tough. You know we've always had problems with Seattle, and then um, you know Arizona as well. It's it's a conference game. We we see each other multiple times. And, um, you know what it is, but we kind of know what, what they're doing and they know what we're doing. And you know, usually the most physical team and the teams that don't make the mistakes, um, you know, come out with wins in these games. So, um, you know, it'll be fun, fun to play them again. And, uh, you know, I think they'll be just as excited, even though it hasn't been the year they wanted. You know, if you want to know about a defensive lineman, <clears throat> the best guys to ask are the old linemen. Um, tell us a little bit about J.J. Watt. This is it for J.J. Watt. Yeah. And you watch these guys on film and you notice all the different nuances and what makes them good and special and different. Tell us about J.J. What do you see when you watch him? Um, I mean, he's what he is. You know, he's won Defensive Player of the Year multiple times and, you know, his Hall of Fame career. So, um, you know, I think he's, you know, the last last one's going to be the show out one. So I think we're expecting a, a heck of a game from him and for him to go hard as he always does. And, I, mean, I think it'll mean a little more to him being his last one, so we're going to be expecting that. And he just plays hard, and sometimes he's unpredictable whether he, you know, spins out of a gap or kind of like a Donald. But um, you know, it's going to be his last one, so he'll be juiced up. Every guy in here pretty much hurt this time of year. I mean, just whether you I mean whether you get hurt in practice, hurt in the game, is everybody battling something right now, or is there, are there guys that literally can go through a football season, get to week 18, and they're still not banged up? I mean, you're going to have a scratch. I mean, it's 100% injury right in the NFL. So, um, you know, guys are battling their own thing, and you know whether they decide to show it or not, that's that's their prerogative. And um, you know, it doesn't matter at this point in the year. We're all gearing up for for the playoffs and what what run we want to have. So. Um, you know, it's the NFL. You're going to get hurt, and, and whether you do what you do about it or how quickly you get back, it's, it's up to you. You know, Banks went down this week. Brunskill stepped in. You guys have a really deep group. There's a lot of really good players on this team, or on this in this offensive line, really on the team, but on your, especially on the offensive line. Uh, and you're one of the veterans, but there's some young guys too. Mm-hmm. Do you say anything when you guys are watching film when you get to this time of the year about? The fact that hey, you, anybody could go in at any snap. Really, you got to be ready. Oh, well, I think we've done it. It goes back to development. You know, guys have stayed after mine practices and, and that kind of thing after practice, and you know they all kind of realize that even though they haven't been through, I think you know the upper guys of Mike and Trent and, and Jake and Dan of all, you know, made them realize that um, you know it's that time of year where you guys go down, and, and if needed, you know, you need to play that at that level and and be consistent with it. So, you know, I think they're starting to realize that. You know, these games mean more. You know, we always talk about the latter of, of the importance of these games in December and January. And, 
um, you know, I think they've got a pretty good idea of, uh, you know, if they go in, then it's got to be a high level. Last time we talked to you, you were telling us about your crabbing expedition mm. during the bye week, I think. Um, how was the holiday for you? What did you do? Did you have family out or did you, how'd you celebrate? Uh, no family out. Plane tickets are a little expensive, but yeah. um, no, I got to do some duck hunting. And, nice. And, Where at? Uh, like Sacramento area, up Yuba City, and then uh, Calusa. And what do you think of? Uh, Mar, so. Yeah, what do you think of our of our hunting in Northern Cal compared That's to awesome. West Virginia? You know, they, they keep it kind of hidden with, with everything else, but uh, you know, you, you get out, there's there's a lot of birds around here. Yeah, like if you were in West Virginia at Christmas time, would you? It, what is what you know? What would you do? Is, is there hunting that you do in West Virginia, or is it still yeah, duck hunting? Yeah, it's the same thing. Not as many birds, but same thing. There you go. Um, tell us a little bit about about what's the difference. You played in the playoffs last year. What is the difference between an NFL playoff game versus a regular season game? If somebody who's never experienced it before, oh, everything's faster. I mean, guys are juiced up. You know, the games mean more, and um, you know, the elite players. Is, I mean, everyone comes to play, so it doesn't matter. You know who it is. Guys are going to come to play, juiced up, and you know it's it's life or death. Um, so this is this is me more, and guys are amped up for it. Yeah. Um, you guys this week could win. Philly could lose. You could be the one seed and have a bye, or you could be the two seed and not have a bye. Um, how important is the bye? Mm-hmm. Or or because I've heard other people argue. You know, you want to stay sharp, and you stay sharp by keep playing. It's hard to turn it on and off. But how? What do you think of the bye? I mean, it's football. Obviously, more rest is good. Yeah, yeah. I haven't experienced the bye. I know in, in nineteen they did, and you know the way they talk about it, it just meant that much more guys being hurt and, and beat up from the season. They got an extra week to get back, and obviously that you know helped them in their run and and going to the Super Bowl. So um, yeah, the bye means means a lot. Um, you know, and if. We're the two seed. We're the two seed. I think the biggest thing is us handling our business uh, this week and, and taking care, and then the rest will handle itself. You know, whether you know the Eagles, whatever they do, and then um, you know the only thing that matters is us winning. You know, football. You have to step in, and you don't know when you're going to step in. Brock had to step in in that Miami game, and you guys have been rolling since. You really were rolling before, but. Um, tell us a little bit about your perspective on how he's played because he's a third-string quarterback, and you don't get the feeling that guys in here don't think you have a chance. They feel like you got a great chance. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, that's a testament to the way he's played. But give me your perspective on it. Yeah, I kind of got a glimpse of it in college when he used to beat us around, and um, you know he's just taking it, taking all his own, and and, and playing the way he uh, you know he's used to playing ball, just being being free, you know, playing playing smart, keeping control of the ball, and. And, uh, you know, just being confident in this play, I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, he hasn't hesitated and, and he's taking it full steam. All right, man, give us the evaluation. How are our questions this time around? I mean, compared to last time, <laughs> were, we, you know, were we on our game? Or, or oh, was, yeah, they're I mean, good. They're good this Good week. stuff. Yeah. Was I probing? I mean, yeah. is there anything that I didn't ask that you think, I, man, I man, that well guy rounded. Well-rounded. Well-rounded. There, well there you yeah, go. Personally, you got the team. Personal. Aspect, there you, you go. A couple guys. It was good. You got, you got any, uh, any any pet peeves you want to air here? Airing, airing of grievances. <laughs> oh, it was great. All right. I like it. It's like Yelp reviews for uh, interviews. Oh, yeah. It was a good one this week. I liked it. <laughs> Thanks, Colton. Thank you.
defense, D-line, uh, team, all, I don't really know. That's all I'm asking. We have to make sure that everybody's comfortable. scenario, but uh, as you saw last week, there's no easy opponents in this league, so um, we got to win this game. Is the, uh, the pass rush put on and finish off the game? I guess was way more satisfying than any of your series. That was very satisfying, yeah. Um, just to see the ball go up there like that in a game that we kind of never really stopped bleeding, and to stop it there was a good time. Uh, I just had a good idea. I knew he didn't get anything on it, and his hand hit the helmet pretty hard, so he, there can't be much of a throw. Um, and then I look over, and it was just Devontae way downfield, the three of our guys, so I had a good, good idea. Yeah. Is that an adjustment that you made during the game because he was getting the ball out quick? You decided, hey, I'm just going to bull rush and, and try to push It's kind of what we had to do. Um, that, that quarterback was uh, getting out of there. We gave him some easy lanes, but he was trying to hit the edge or get out any way he could. He was doing a good job of keeping his eyes downfield, so we kind of just all said as a D-line that we need to be physical. Not much at all, but not taking anybody lightly. Uh, Nick Bosa, amongst others, there for you here on uh, Tales from the Bay from Gridiron. Uh, Nicholas, uh, happy new year to you. Hope you're well. Uh, I look forward to hearing your thoughts on the playoff matchup. I think that's probably the area of focus for this weekend that we end up with on the on the other side of Sunday. Uh, enjoy Sunday, 10 in a row, a seed as high as maybe even one, likely two. All of that sounds like a, a pretty successful year after a, an odd start, and we can all be very positive about the 49ers going into 2023. Yeah, after the um, the stress of last year's Week 18, where I'm sure we all remember that you had to come back from 17-0 17, <laughs> 17 down the road in LA and extremely stressful Sunday afternoon, it's nice to have something very calm where the very worst of the, the, the three, likely the two, and maybe maybe even the one. It's very nice to have that kind of serene Sunday where they can watch other teams go from more stressful situations. But as I say, um, much love to the NFL community for everything this week. It's been um, it's been very heartening to see and and good to see the positive impact that sport can have, even in the most dire of situations. And as I say, um, fingers crossed for DeMar Hamlin that he, that he pulls through and that we're able to see him out there again. Thank you so much uh, to you, Nicholas McGee, from Nick, from me, Will Gavin, from producer Mike and from everyone else at Gridiron. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening from our buddies out in the Bay as well, Larry and Ryan. This has been Tales from the Bay. 